You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. Amen. How are we doing? If you guys don't know me, my name is Zach Cunningham, and I am... <laughs> Thanks, Abner. I'm the associate college pastor here at Overflow, and this is... Uh, my second time to do this, to preach, so bear with me. Um, but real, real quick, turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. And while you're doing that, I want to again wish my beautiful girlfriend a happy Valentine's Day. You are the most amazing person in the world. She's right over there. She's embarrassed. 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2, 2. It says this. And what you have heard from me... In the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul is telling Timothy to entrust the gospel to faithful men, and I wanted to start tonight off by thanking one of those faithful men. I know you don't leave for two weeks, um, but this is the last time I'm up here while you're not freezing your butt off in Iowa, and this is kind of like your uh, Kobe Bryant farewell tour. Um, I'll try not to cry, but no promises. Um, Three years ago, you invited me to eat breakfast with you, and ever since then, you've taught me how to follow Jesus better. If it wasn't for God using you in my life, I would be an accountant, working a nine-to-five job pursuing the American dream. Um, If you're an accounting major in here, do not go eat breakfast with Austin. He'll change your life. Uh, Maybe if that would have happened, I wouldn't have a a crazy boss who kills goldfish and TPs his boss's house. Um, You've taught us how to be a disciple, how to share the gospel, and how to have joy while doing it. Um, For six years now, you have led this ministry and shepherded it, um, but now you are married. Um, You and Leslie are expecting to have a good time in Iowa, (laughs) and we're super excited for you. Um, If you're in Iowa watching this video, pack your bags and run as far away as you can, because if you won't, God will change your life using Austin. Please stand and join me in giving Austin a round of applause. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> Sweet. Well, Austin's leaving, but Jesus isn't, isn't here yet, and so we have a mission, uh, and, this, and this ministry is going to continue to teach God's Word and honor God in that way. So turn your Bible over to 2 Timothy 3. Uh, that's where we're going to be camped out tonight. Um, and if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know Paul is, is writing this letter to Timothy from jail. Uh, he's, he's still in that hole. Um, and, and today we're going to look at what he says in, in chapter 3. Um, but before we do that, how many of you guys in here have seen the movie uh, Remember the Titans? Gosh, okay, who hasn't seen Remember the Titans? Anyway, I'm sorry, okay, cool. Well, this is going to be easier. Uh, I don't know, is, is Jesse Sunshine Thompson in here? Where is he? Jesse, have you seen the movie? <laughs> anyway, this is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies. It's one of the greatest of all times. Uh, and I don't know about some of you guys, but in, uh, when I was in football and in the locker room during two-a-days, we would watch this movie uh, and, and thank God we didn't have to do some of the things they had to do. Um, but if you haven't seen it, uh, Remember the Titans. It's a football movie set in the 1970s. And it's about two segregated schools that, that become integrated uh, and, and in doing that, they have to overcome racial conflict, and in doing so, they, they win a lot of football games. Um, and, and the movie focuses on, on two players, 
Uh, one of them is, is Gary Bertier, and the other one is Julius Campbell. Um, and and in, the, in this movie, they're, they're not friends at the, at the beginning, but they, they become friends through, through football games, and they're the captain of the football team. They're captains of the football team. They're linebackers. Um, anyways, they lead their team to win a lot of football games uh, to the state semifinals before Gary is hit by a car and put in the hospital. And if, and if you've seen this movie, uh, I'm going to talk about this scene where it's like the most heart-wrenching scene in all the movie. And if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, Gary's in the hospital bed, and he just got hit by a car, and he's paralyzed from, from like the waist down. And, and, uh, and Julius comes in, and the nurse is like, uh, only kinfolk's allowed in here. And Gary's like, no, can't you see we're brothers? And it's like, that's the best part of the whole movie. And then, and then Julius comes in, and, and, and they talk, and, and they're sharing all these encouraging words, but, but they know that they're about to face some of the most difficult times Right? They're going to go into a world um, that, that doesn't agree with them, uh, that will do everything they can uh, to tear them apart, and, and they're going to reject them. Right? Um, and so Gary tells them, like, I love you, dude. Uh, we fought this good fight. But, but understand this. We're about to go into some of the most difficult times. This world is going to reject us, uh, but we have to press on. And, and, and then uh, they, they shake hands, and they say one of the most uh, like famous lines in all the movie. He goes, left side. Strong side, that's right. <laughs> well, I share all this because, one, that's my favorite movie, and two, because Paul and Timothy, they've been through a lot together, right? We, we've seen that in the past uh, few uh, sermons. They, they've been through persecution. They've been through threats and separation. Um, Paul writes this letter while he's beaten up, and he's in his sort of, like, deathbed, and, he, and he's telling them, he's already told them, like, hey, I remember your family. I remember your faith. Feed the fire with the gospel. Uh, entrust the gospel to faithful men. Be a worker approved by God. And then in chapter 3, uh, but, but, but Paul knows that they're about to go into a world that, that, that's going to reject them, right? Just like, uh, just like Gary and Julius, Paul knows that they're about to go into a world that's going to try to separate them. And, and so in chapter 3, we're going to see... Um, and we're going to see what Paul tells Timothy. And I'm going to do a lot, uh, kind of like I did last time. I'm going to build this idea, uh, main idea, based on three smaller ideas. And this is what it's going to be. Paul's going to tell Timothy this. Timothy, one, these days are going to be difficult. And two, this world is going to persecute you. But three, press on. It is worth it. Timothy, these days are going to be difficult, and this world is going to persecute you, but press on. It's going to be worth it. Okay, we're going to be in uh, chapter 3, and I'm going to read the first nine verses. Um, here's my warning uh, to you. Uh, buckle up, because this passage is ugly, and it's brutal. Um, but we're going to read it, um, starting in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Second Timothy. It says this, But understand this. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. If I was writing a letter to a freshman as a senior, I would start it like this. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, Without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, 
but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Okay, if we're being honest, that's the brutal passage I was talking about. Some of you, this might be your first time, or some of you might have invited a girl uh, to overflow, and, and now she's depressed, and, and I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Zach. Anyways, we're going to chop this up real fast. So Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says in the last times, it's going to be difficult. And then he lists 19 characteristics. Um, and, and before we chop this up, I want to show you guys something uh, that I did. Uh, I got a newspaper from last Friday, because that's when I was preparing this. And what I did was, I went through this newspaper, uh, and, I, and as I was reading this passage, I, I, I kept the characteristics in my mind. And anytime I saw a characteristic here that I thought met here, I marked it down. And so what I'm going to do is, I'm going to explain to you guys what I found. Um, in, this, in this newspaper, I've got... Politicians who are proud and arrogant and slanderous. There is a girl who uh, stole her mom's car and told the entire audience of Dr. Phil to catch her outside. Um, this, is, this is a whole section on business and finance, lovers of money. Um, there's a war in Yemen going on and people are being killed. What else? Um, there's Lego Batman. Thank God for Lego Batman. Um, <laughs> And then, oh gosh. And then there's, there's treacherous people who think James Harden is any good. Um, but unholiness, I, what I say all that to say there's unholiness all over this newspaper. And, and it's no secret that the world around us is a lot like this passage, right? It is no secret that the world around us is much like this passage. And, and after reading, like, do you guys ever log on, on the news and you read news article after article and you, and you have to take a step back and, like, breathe a little bit because it's, it's just so bad? Well, when I read this passage, I, I, I do the same. I, I have to take a step back and, and remind myself, like, feed myself with the gospel. It's going to be okay. Um, but when I read that, uh, I want to point out one thing. Um, because as I was going through this newspaper, and as I, as I was reading these characteristics, there's, there's one that stuck out, and there's one that I just could not find in this newspaper. Look at what Paul says in verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. You know, as Christians, it's easy to look around the world and, and to look at our campuses and to look at this newspaper and say, Man, this world is full of people who are lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, they are abusive, they are disobedient to their parents, they are ungrateful, this world is full of unholy people, heartless, unappeasable, they are slanderous, they are without self-control, they are brutal, they don't love good, they are treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. As Christians, it's easy to look at a list like this and appoint it to the world around us. Um, but, but what Paul says in that last line is important. It says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Paul's not talking about the, he's not just talking about the world around them. He's talking about the church. 
He's talking about the church. These are the people in Paul's time who, who gave off this appearance of godliness, and they, they seemed holy and they seemed righteous, but on the inside they denied the power of God. Right? And so the implication of this is that it is possible for a person to look godly, look like a religious Christian on the outside, but still deny the power of God. Paul is telling Timothy, look, dude, these lovers of self, these lovers of money, these arrogant, reckless, conceited people, they're going to be in the church. He's not talking about atheists here. He's talking about the church. In the church, you're going to have these people who have an appearance of godliness but deny its power. You're going to have these people who just keep, keep looking for truth and never arrive at it. Paul makes it clear in the letter to uh, Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 5, that he isn't talking about judging the world. He's talking about the church, the people who call themselves brothers and sisters. Nowadays, we see a list like this, and honestly, we, we aren't even that shocked, right? You, you got lovers of money. I, I chose my degree. I was an accounting major, and I just graduated. I chose accounting to make money. Because I, I, I was and still am currently sometimes a lover of money. You, you got disobedient to parents? Duh. Like, we just talked about that girl on Dr. Phil. But if, if we're more sh- I, I think we're more shocked now uh, when, when, when kids are obedient to their parents, right? If you don't believe me, go down to the, the CDC and, and the daycare at this church, and, and you don't have to go very far. Some of you girls in here are like, amen. Uh, <laughs> lovers of self. I was reading a pastor on this. Lovers of self, he, he calls it this. It's the, it's the sewer line through which all the other garbage goes through, right? Lovers of self is the root. Uh, people are always about loving themselves. You hear it as a kid. You need to love yourself, right? You need to do what's best for you. And we go, yeah, I hear that all the time. And Paul says here, Timothy, watch out, because in the end times, it's going to be crazy. There's going to be people who love themselves. There's going to be people who love themselves. And even in the church, we think it's so normal. We've got millions of people buying books with titles like uh, Become a Better You. Or, or we got people who, who say, Jesus says, love my neighbor as myself, and I'm not loving my neighbor as good as I should, so I should love myself more so, so that I can love my neighbor more. Are you, are you kidding me? right? Uh, we, <laughs> we, you do love yourself. And, and it, it, we, we literally ask people to come drink coffee with us so that we can tell them about ourselves, right? And, and study after study shows that our generation, this generation, is the most narcissistic generation to ever walk on earth. The most self-loving generation to ever walk on earth. And if you're arguing or you're thinking, Zach, that might not be right, then I pose this to you. We think it's normal and acceptable for every single person in our country to not have one but four pages built for ourselves. We, we want people to, to look at us and know about us and see our pictures and see our trips um, and, and see our Snapchat stories that get up to 200 seconds so people can see what we're doing all day long. And, and, we want, and we want people to see our opinion on every stinking thing. And I'm, I'm talking about myself. I've had every social media account since MySpace. But the thing is, we think it's normal. And back then, Paul would say, like, you mean to tell me that, that people are so in love with themselves that they build a shrine and they go to it to worship it every minute of every single day? 
The truth is we love ourselves. And not only do we love ourselves, we love the fact that we love ourselves. We, we love that we love ourselves. It feels good. And Paul is going to say, dude, it's going to get worse. These people are going to be in the church. People are going to love themselves. They're going to be lovers of self. And because they are lovers of self, they're going to use uh, whatever they can to make much of themselves. And one of those things is going to be money. There's going to be lovers of money, wanting to be financially comfortable. Why did you choose your major? Why do you want, why do you, what do you want to do with your life? I chose my major to make money. And, 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 and because I loved money. And, and, and Paul is saying that these people are going to be lovers of self. They're going to be lovers of money. They're going to be proud. They're going to boast of themselves. I told you all this was depressing. Uh, they're going to be ungrateful, which to be grateful is a sign of, of a Christian who's saved by grace, something they didn't deserve, but they got it, and so you're grateful. And Paul is saying that the people in the church aren't even going to be grateful. They're going to be ungrateful. And, you, and you've, got, you've got these people um, who are going to be in the church who are lovers of, of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You, you have people nowadays who say, uh, um, come on, follow God, because if, you, if you believe in God, God will, will make your life perfect, and you will be blessed financially. You, you will have a perfect relationship. Uh, he's saying all these things, um, and you've got this gospel being preached in places where if you follow Jesus, you get this, this, and this. Instead of if you follow Jesus, you get Jesus. It's all about self and pleasure. In the church, there's going to be people who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, denying the power of God. You're going to have people who are denying the power of prayer. He's saying you're going to have people in, in the church who call themselves Christian who don't even pray. You're going to have people who deny the power of Scripture to, to transform and to teach and correct. You're going to have people in the church who, who never, ever, ever, ever read the Bible. And you're going to have people who deny the power of the gospel to change their lives. Deny the power of the gospel to change their lives. This book, like the message in it, it's great, but it's not really going to free me from my addiction. It, it, can't, it can't really solve my problems. It can't really give me joy. And you're going to have people... Who, who think that this is a nice idea, but it just can't practically save me. Uh, and these people are going to look like a Christian on the outside. Uh, and and, and from, all, from all looks at them, you're going to see Christ, but on the inside, there's nowhere, Christ is nowhere to be found. These people are going to have a head knowledge of grace, but, but they're never going to have a true experience with grace. Um, these people are going to go to Jesus. Uh, they're going to live their whole life having this appearance of godliness, and they're going to retire at age 55, they're going to die, and then they're going to go to Jesus, and Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you, like in Matthew 7. Paul says that there's going to be a time when no one puts up with this. No one's going to stick to this. They're not going to believe it. They're going to think it's tainted and it's not relevant. They're going to go find a teacher to tell them what they want to hear. Listen, if you want to keep your money and you want to be greedy, I, I can point you to a pastor who's going to tell you that's okay. You love your money, you can keep it. Don't feel bad. If you want to have a divorce, I can find a preacher with a PhD to tell you that's okay. If you want to have sex before marriage, I'll show you a Christian blog that says that's okay. If you want to abort your child, if you want to marry someone of the same sex, I can show you a teacher who says that's okay. 
And, and if, you don't, if you don't believe people are going to hell, I can show you a teacher who will tell you that's okay. If, if, if you believe that there's people on this earth who don't know Jesus, and you don't want to believe in a, a just and wrathful God, but just a, love, a lover God, I can, I can take you to a pastor that says that's okay. And, and, and the thing is that this isn't just going to be a teacher with a PhD. This is going to be a Christian teacher. What's your pleasure? I'll show you someone who says that's okay. People are going to love their pleasures more than they love God. You know, I look at this newspaper, and I, and I look at the world, and, and I, I just think, how, how, how can I change it? How, how can I change the world? How can we change the world? Um, but if we're being honest, it, it starts right here. It starts with the church. If we're being honest, it, it starts right here. It starts with ourselves. When I was little, my mom would take Cole and I um, tornado chasing. Uh, I don't know what Cole is, but, but anytime there is a, a storm going on or like lightning and there's a tornado warning on the, on the screen, uh, Cole and I would race to the, uh, to the first, uh, front seat, rather. We'd race there and my mom would drive us out to these tornadoes and, and there'd be wind blowing and storm and, and we'd roll the window down because that's a stupid idea. But, uh, <laughs> but we would do it and, and, and we would drive and, and we'd get as close to these tornadoes as possible or sometimes they'd get as close to us as possible. And, and, but, but the point is, we weren't called and, and we're not supposed to control the, the weather. I'm not supposed to control that tornado out there or the wind or the rain, but what I can control, the car. The car, we had control over that. I could, I could roll the windows up, and, and, and we could stay out of the mess. And, and I have that picture in my mind, and, and I'm reading 2 Timothy 3, and, and, and that's what he's talking about. The, the world is going to be crazy. Amen? <laughs> the world is going to be crazy. Um, but, 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 but Paul is telling them there's going to be a storm, but you, you the church, what are you going to do in the middle of the storm? Are you, are you going to be a light, or are you going to give in to the pleasures of the world? Are you going to be a lover of godliness or a lover of ungodliness? Are you going to be of the world or are you going to be of Jesus in the world? Right? The first nine verses, Paul is describing to Timothy this storm. And, and that's in the last days and these people are going to be giving in the pleasures and denying the power of God. Timothy, these days are going to be difficult. But look at verse 10. Verse 10 says this. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Look, Timothy, these days are going to be difficult. There's going to be a storm um, and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be outside, but it's also going to be inside the church, but, but not for you. Not you, Timothy. Next to, not only is this world and this storm going to be going on outside, um, but keep reading. Look at verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Hmm. Not only is this world going to be going crazy, Timothy, um, but, if, but if you follow Jesus and you follow my aim and, and my teachings and my patience and my love, you're going to be persecuted for it. 
You're going to be persecuted. Paul has spent years teaching the gospel, but he's also spent years in prison. He has been beaten and he's been lacerated. When he was in Lystra, right here, uh, he was chased out of town. He was stoned to death, um, but not really death. Uh, and they left him and he, and he rose from the dead, but he wasn't really dead. And then he went back into that same town. He was persecuted. And then ultimately he would be put to death for the gospel. But look at, verse, look at verse 11 at the end. It says, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Paul tells Timothy, look, this world around you is going to be crazy. But ain't you followed my teaching, my aim in life, and my persecutions and as long as you keep doing that, as long as you keep preaching the gospel, you will be persecuted. You will be rejected. Timothy, these days are going to be difficult, and this world will persecute you. The Bible teaches that persecution and suffering are an essential thing to the Christian life. The Bible teaches that this is not an optional thing. Suffering and persecution are essential to the gospel. Look at verse 12. It says this, Indeed, all, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. You don't have to turn there, but in Acts 14, 22, it says this. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And then Jesus says in John 16, 33, it says this. You will have trouble in this world. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. So in a world that is seemingly moving further and further away from Jesus, if you're following Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. In a world that's, that's treasure is, is on this earth, if you treasure Jesus, you will have trouble. Listen, guys, this book, uh, it doesn't promise you an easy life. This book does not promise you comfort this book does not promise you money, and it doesn't promise you a nice home. In fact, it promise you, promises you the opposite. Look around the world today. It's becoming increasingly more difficult uh, to radically follow Jesus. Notice how I didn't say it's becoming increasingly more difficult to become a Christian. But it's becoming increasingly more difficult to truly and radically follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you're not going to have an easy life. You want your best life now? You, you want to make this life your best life? I've got news for you, Christian. If you're a Christian, this life isn't your best life. It's, it's not. Uh, you, if you want to be with God, this life is going to be your worst life. The time on this earth that you spend will be the worst thing you ever experience. Your time on earth will be your worst life. Welcome to church. Your life's going to suck. Um, but hear this, and this is important. If you are in Jesus, even the worst life is still life. Even your worst life is life. You face hardships in this life. Your parents get a divorce. You fail all your classes. You get kicked out of your fraternity. Your boss leaves you for stinking Iowa. You get robbed. You get paralyzed from the neck down because you get in a car wreck. You get beaten up for proclaiming the gospel. Your mom gets cancer. Your dad has heart attacks. You don't get into grad school. You get dumped by your boyfriend or girlfriend, and you live in a shack your whole life. But if you have Jesus, you still live. Yes. You still have life. Look back at verse 12. 
It says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul tells Timothy that the persecution he's going to face is a direct result from living a godly life. You notice that this isn't persecution because you go to church. And this isn't a persecution because you're a Christian. This is a persecution because you desire to live a godly life. This is a persecution that's coming from being a lover of God in a world that hates him. In a world that loves itself, you deny yourself. In a world that stores its money on earth, you store up your treasure in heaven. In a world that is proud, you be humble. In a world that boasts in itself, you boast in Jesus. And if you do that, and if you are constantly following Jesus radically and not yourself, this world will persecute you. But listen, this is important. In order to be persecuted for Jesus, you must be radically living for Jesus. In order to be persecuted for Jesus, you must radically be living for Jesus. There are no casual Christians risking their life for Jesus. There are no casual Christians leaving everything they know and love to preach a gospel where they don't know. There are no casual Christians getting their heads cut off. None. The ones who are being persecuted are radically following Jesus. And my desire for you tonight is to not be like somebody in this passage. That you wouldn't buy into this uh, casual Christian life defined by denying the power of God. Paul says that these people are going to be in the church. And if that's true, this is what I want. I want you to live your life so counter-cultural, so counter-casual, and so counter 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, that the people in this passage in your life start to feel uncomfortable. I want you to make the average American people in your church, in the pew next to you, uncomfortable. I want you to have this strange mix of, of love with, with a bit of craziness. They ought to look at you and the way that you live your life and think you are a psychopath. Amen. Those people at Overflow are nuts. They're nuts. I, I, want pe- <laughs> I want people to come into our lives and to come into this room and see something different. Something different that that we are called to something higher. We as Christians ought to live a life that is full of so much joy. And I'm not talking about this smile through the pain, half joy. I'm talking about this rejoice through the sufferings, joy. This so as we share in the sufferings of Christ, so as we share in his glory type of joy. Have joy. Love Jesus more than you love anything. Be a lover of God and not a lover of pleasure. And if you do that, I want you to go so far into that storm, right up next to the tornado. And I want you, by the power of God, to save the person who's in the, in the bathtub underneath a mattress. Do not waste your life denying the power of God to change it. Do not waste your life denying the power of God to change your life. Three, Timothy, these days are going to be difficult. And this world will persecute you, but three, press on. It's worth it. Look at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and, and for reproof and for correction 
and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This world is going to be crazy, and you will be persecuted. But as for you, continue. Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Paul is telling Timothy to, to press on. And how is he going to press on? By remembering what he believes. And what does he believe? The gospel. The gospel. And how is he going to be reminded of the gospel? By reading the scriptures. Listen, there's a war out there. There's a storm. And the, and, and the only weapon we have is this. The only weapon we have is this. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, reproof, and training in righteousness. Paul is telling Timothy to look to the scriptures. Why? Because the gospel's in there. There's grace and there's glory in here. So why? Why in a world uh, that's, that's going crazy and persecuting Timothy would Paul tell Timothy to remember the gospel? When I was in South America, we pulled up to... Uh, this mountain range that was barren and sandy with no vegetation anywhere. And so we, w- we walked down this mountain range to when uh, we found this little stream. And, and we followed this little stream until it became this much bigger stream. And, w- and when we got to it, we were walking through the water, and I was wearing these shoes that have holes in them. So I had to take the holes off. I had to take the shoes off. <laughs> I had to take the shoes off, and I had to take my socks off. And so I'm walking through this water, and every single step, I stepped on these sharp rocks or glass, or thorns, every single step, and, and we're walking, and the person in front of you, if we're going up, would trip rocks down, and they would hit your feet, and yeah, it, just, it would hurt really bad. Um, this was the most painful mile I'd ever walked in my life, but the thing that kept me going, and the thing that kept us going, was that we knew that there was a glorious waterfall at the end of this trip, we knew that at the end of this trip, there was a glorious waterfall, so we kept walking. And after an hour of hiking and pain and suffering in our feet, we finally saw that waterfall. And it was the most glorious thing I had ever seen. That The beauty of the waterfall made every single step worth it. Every single step, every single painful step was worth it because of the beauty of the glory of that waterfall. Paul tells Timothy, look, man, this trip is going to be hard, and it's going to be painful, too. But you remember the gospel. Remember the glorious gospel, Timothy. The sufferings of this present time aren't even worth comparing to the glory of that glorious gospel. Press on, because it's worth it. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.